Amen. And so uh, it is good to see all of you today, and hopefully you enjoyed our last sermon series called Epic as we studied and, and looked at uh, and explored some essential theological issues uh, as revealed in the, in the Word of God in this greatest story ever told. And so last week we uh, were able to conclude that by talking about future things. And uh, this morning is just a, a, a sort of, we call a one-off, a topical message, but it's specific to our church. Because uh, this is sort of our New Year's uh, message, right? I know last week we were already, it was our first Sunday in the New Year, but we were finishing up our series. I think it was also very appropriate that we started the New Year by talking about the future. Because when we begin a new year, don't we also, we all personally kind of look to what's ahead, right? And, and yeah, we reflect on the year behind us, but we get excited about what things we're going to see happen uh, in the year 2020, and, uh, and so I think it's something every year we kind of come to, and what's God going to do in my life this year? And maybe this will be the year that, that, that new job comes through, or maybe this is the year that, that one goal that I've had forever and really will come to fruition. Maybe this is the year that, um, that the Lord brings the healing that I've been praying for, for so long. And we continue to just look to God. And I think it also reminds us, doesn't it church, that God is a God of new things, Remember, as we studied all of Scripture and the story, we saw that it began with the heaven and an earth, and God created from nothing. But do you know at the end of all things, when you read the end of Revelation, doesn't it also say that He is going to make all things new? And Jesus said, look, I'm making all things new. And we look forward to that, a new heavens and a new earth where we can dwell eternally with Him. And so we know He's making all things new, and that does include our bodies. And we know that we'll one day receive those bodies, we call them our glorified bodies, that will be fit for service to Him in heaven for all of eternity. Until then, we do struggle, and we struggle with these broken vessels, these jars of clay, right? And some days they feel more broken than others, and I think you've probably seen a theme like, boy, Pastor Key talks about that a lot. He must be struggling. It has nothing to do with the fact that I'm turning 50 this year. It has nothing to do with that. But, you know, wait. Oh, okay, so I sit down. Yeah. Did you ever notice, it's just like, you ever notice when you go out to eat and you're sitting there for an hour and a half, you're eating, you're sitting, right? And then you get up and you walk to your car, maybe it takes you 30 seconds, and you sit in the car and you go, oh. Well, you only walked like for a minute. You were sitting for all this. Yeah, it's a long walk. But you feel it, right? But praise God that he promises many things to us. And he promises he will make all things new. And I think that's part of uh, a sort of our anticipation and a bit of excitement at the beginning of every new year. Or whenever there might be some kind of milestone event in your life. Because it helps us to remember, I think. That God is a God of newness, and, and he gives us an idea that there is a future with him. Because we are people of hope. And so this morning, I want to share a simple message with you about what the theme is for Trinity Bible Church this year in 2020. I shared this with the leadership at the end of the year, and I wanted to bring this to, to all of us. Because I think it's good that as we always continue to remember our, our core values of learn, grow, and serve, that we also have a theme for the year. It kind of helps to keep us connected. And all the messages, whatever book of the Bible we will study, will help us to highlight what our theme is. And our theme is based around this idea of a vision. 
And so the theme this year for 2020 is a clear vision of hope 2020. And notice I put that slash in the middle of 2020. Anybody know why that would be? 2020 vision, right? You get that, Jimmy? You go to the eye doctor and they put that big crazy thing in front of you and they keep saying, better or worse, better or worse. You're just like, I don't know, just give me glasses, right? It's, I can't really tell. And so, but the idea is that we want to have, as a church, a clear vision of who we are and what we're called to do. Not only church as a capital C, meaning the universal church as all Christians are a part of, but also the church, the local church, our church. And whoever the Lord may bring into the fellowship that we would have a clear vision of hope for 2020. Now, we want to have a clear vision no matter what it is, spiritually and physically, this coming year. But but also specifically that our vision would be based on and founded upon and wrapped up in this wonderful word of hope. If you remember, if you were with us for Christmas Eve, it was also our theme that hope is born. And there was a reason, see, that was some strategery there, because we have this word is going to be our key and theme word for the year 2020, that everything that we do as we study the word of God, as we are equipped as disciples to go and, and, and share our faith, to live as disciples and share our faith with others, and that we have a clear vision of who we are as disciples of Christ and what we are called to do. Now, um, I loved as a kid, one of the things I loved to do was to climb up, uh, you know, on higher places to get a good perspective, whether it was a, you know, a little hill that you're playing with around as kids, or when you get older, you get to maybe go to the top of the Empire State Building or a large skyscraper, and you get to look at one of these viewfinders, and you can kind of put a quarter in, right? Uh, maybe it's more than that these days. Maybe it's like 10 bucks. I don't know, Right? And then it turns it on, and what does it do? You put the money in, and all of a sudden it gets cleared up, and then you can see. But there's also those things there that you can do what? You can sharpen the focus, right? The vision, you can bring some clarity. But what are those meant to do? To help you see further. Help you see something that maybe you can't see just, just with your 2020 vision. But they help you to sort of see the bigger landscape, the bigger picture. And isn't it kind of cool if you've ever done that in New York City where you go up to the top of a building somewhere and and you get to do one of these viewfinders and look out and you get to see. Because if you're walking around the streets of New York City, it can be kind of overwhelming, right? And you're like, man, where's the sun? Where's the skylight? Because it's all buildings as tall as you can see, right? And it's just these canyons But then when you get to the top and you get to use one of these viewfinders, you can see and get a different perspective. The Word of God is our lens always as believers, right? It's always the way that we are to see the world. And so our theme verse for this year from the Word of God about having a vision for hope, about who we are as disciples and what we're called to do is 1 Peter 3 15. It's going to be up on the screen. I want to show it to you. And there's going to be some other verses that, uh, that I'll reference today. It'll be up on the screen. But this is our main verse for today and throughout the year. And so every once in a while, you'll see I'll bring it back and reference it. But it's a great verse to memorize and to bring a focus to. And I'm just going to unpack it briefly today because I think there's two parts, two main parts to this verse that really help to give us a vision about who we are as disciples and what we're called to do. And uh, I want to start by saying, you know who wrote this verse? Of course, it was God. But who did God give it to was 
Peter, the disciple, the apostle Peter. And Peter talked a lot about hope. Did you ever read his letters? He talked a lot about hope, so he's a good one to look at. But here's what he says in in 1 Peter 3.15. He says, but set Christ apart as Lord in your hearts. That's the first part. And always be ready to give an answer to anyone who asks about the hope you possess. Now, maybe your version says a little differently, but it, it all will mean and say the same thing. 1 Peter 3.15, right? That we are to set Christ apart as Lord in your hearts and always be ready to give an answer to anyone, to anyone who asks about the hope you possess. So we want to sort of unpack that a little bit today and what it looks like. And part of that is going to be looking at Peter, looking at the Apostle Peter. Because I think Peter is a great example of sort of a typical disciple of Jesus. Because he had a lot of different experiences in his walk with the Lord and after. And there's a lot we can learn from Peter, but it's all in light of our theme and our vision for this year, that we would all, as a church, have a clear vision of hope in 2020. And I just love this idea of having some clarity. We want to have clarity, right? Because oftentimes there is confusion in our lives, confusion uh, uh, about the things that are going on. But God in his word says that he is not the author of confusion. And so he wants to bring clarity always. The more that we dive into his word, the more that our vision will be cleared and sharpened and focused. And there was this great book written back in the 80s by Gene Getz, and it's called Sharpening the Focus of the Church. And it was a great book. It was sort of a sentinel book in churches in the day and helped us, and it's still applicable today. But I just even love the title, that don't we want to kind of take that viewfinder and say, God, what's what's the future of our church? What's the future of what we should be doing? I mean, last week we looked at the future, right, and what God's ultimately doing, but we play a part in that. So we want to kind of take that viewfinder, we put the money in, sort of the Word of God, right, and that's our lens, and it opens up and we see, God, what do you have for us? But we should always, look, this is important, we should always be adjusting, right, the lenses to see clear. Some of you have, have cameras and, and, you know, outside of your phone, right? And you take pictures and you can always sort of adjust it just so people can get a little clearer, right? Even on your, your, your smartphone, you can usually do that. You tap on it and there's a little square and it kind of focuses in on the face that you're taking a picture of, right? And so the idea is we want to bring clarity and sharpen our focus on who we are as a church, and what we're called to do. And ultimately, we are called to hope. To be a beacon of hope in a hopeless world. And so all that we do this year, I mean and always, but specifically this year, all of our ministries, the, the things that we're going to study, the books we're going to look at in the Word of God, our worship, anything that we might do together, our focus on missions and everything, it has to help to sharpen and bring a vision and a focus of us as people of hope this year of 2020. So I want to look at this verse just a little bit, kind of kind of show you the two parts of it and why I think it's an important um, lens in order to look through to see that we are to be called people of hope. All right? And um, boy, it's kind of warm in here. Did you know that it's summer? No, did you see that? 
Summer started again. We just kind of skipped over winter. And, you know, I read at the beginning of winter that it was, like, supposed to be a really cold and wet winter, and I haven't really noticed that to be that yet. So, anyway, I just kind of noticed that. I'm like, man, I thought maybe it was, you know, it was just me, but that's all right. I think we're, we're good. So, um, just crazy weather, and that's why so many people are sick, I know. But, um, but if we look at this verse together, First Peter 3.15, as sort of our lens, right, our lens for seeing what God has for us this year, Here is the verse again, right? And so we can put it up on the screen again. It says, but set Christ apart as Lord in your hearts. And let's stop there for a second. That's that's part one of two, if we break this into two parts. What does it mean to set Christ apart as Lord in your hearts? Well, really, in a way, that is the call of every disciple. That is a definition, truly, of what a disciple should be doing. So it says it in a very uh, general way. But the first part of this verse is saying, we are called to be disciples, be a disciple. And I mention this often, but part of our our core values, learn, grow, and serve. Why do we have those as our core values? Because that is how we pursue being a disciple. A little clarification, which I think is really important. You see, every disciple is a believer, but I don't believe that every believer is is a disciple. Because a disciple, I believe, Scripture teaches is something you choose to be. Now, as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, when we put our faith and trust in Him, which we talk about often, we know that we are saved and sanctified, we are secured and justified in Christ. But then Jesus gives us some instructions. He says, if you want to be my disciple, and we'll get to this verse in a minute, then there are some things you have to do. See, it's important we understand salvation is free to us. It's a free gift. But discipleship is a commitment. And it's a commitment to do the things he's called us to do. Do you see the difference there? Because we don't ever want to mix the two and say, well, yeah, I mean, there's all these things Jesus says I have to do. And so if I don't do them, am I really saved? No, I think it's important we keep that distinction. That we believe that is a free gift we receive by faith. Right? We don't have to work for that. It doesn't cost us anything, but being a disciple, choosing to follow him, that's going to cost us a lot, but that's the way it should be. And we'll get some verses that talk about that. But the first part of first Peter three fifteen says what really every disciple should be focused on set Christ apart as Lord. Now, of course, whether we do it or not, he's Lord. Me, right? He's, he's Lord. No matter what we say or think he is Lord, right? But the idea of being a disciple and making that choice to follow him is to say, yes, every day, every moment, I am going to choose to follow Jesus. I'm going to pursue being a disciple. And how do I do that? I set Christ apart as Lord in my heart, meaning that nobody else is Lord and no other thing is Lord. No other person in your life, no other thing, whether it's your job or it's money or it's it's um, you know, power, it's influence, whatever it might be, we are to set Jesus and Him alone as Lord. Meaning very simply this. As disciples, we choose to live for Jesus and no one else. And nothing else. And I say, that seems impossible. It's impossible to do perfectly, right, until Christ returns. But we are called 
to pursue that. That's where we say pursue being disciples. And so let's look at some scriptures that talk about that because we know that we are justified in Christ in believing. That is our salvation, right? That's called justification. But then that big theological word sanctification is that process of being a disciple, choosing to say no to sin and yes to Jesus. It is the first part of this verse. It is saying, I'm going to set Christ as Lord over every part of my life every day. And I do that by replacing all those things that I put in, in his place with Jesus, with his word, with fellowship with others, with prayer, with giving. See, everything that goes along with being a follower of Christ. Look at some of these verses that help us understand. Remember, the first part of, uh, of uh, 1 Peter 3.15, set Christ apart as Lord in your hearts. That is being a disciple. That's the first thing. Be a disciple. There's two things for today. First one, be a disciple. Okay, look at Matthew 9, 9. Okay, Matthew 9, 9. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew. Remember what he's calling his disciples uh, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And so Matthew rose and followed him. So a disciple very simply means a learner or a follower. See, now in scripture, Uh, The word disciple is used not just of Jesus' followers. There were disciples of the Pharisees. There were disciples of John the Baptist. Remember that? And and then John the Baptist was saying, yes, but now Jesus has come. Don't be my disciple. Be his disciple. Okay? But when Jesus called his disciples, right, he didn't call them Christians. That was after. He always called them disciples. He said very simply to do what? Follow me. Now, I also believe, and we don't have time to go and look at it, uh, do a study on it, but I also believe that when Jesus did that, these, um, these disciples were already believers, meaning that they had already learned about Jesus, met with Jesus, they believed in Jesus, they put their faith and trust in Him for salvation. But see, then they went back to their regular jobs and they were fishing, they were fishermen. And Jesus says, and he finds them, and he says, now, come follow me. Like, you're believers, now you're going to come follow me. And what does he say say elsewhere? Because I'm going to make you fishers of who? Of men, right? So it's like he's calling them out and saying, here's the most important thing for you to do. Come and follow me, because I'm going to teach you to go and, and fish for men, meaning bringing the gospel to others, teaching others how to be disciples, okay? So Matthew 9, 9, it's clear, and there's other scriptures that talk about that. Look at Luke 14, 33. Uh, and it says this, yeah, this is Jesus saying, Therefore, if any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. I feel like he's not leaving anything out, right? Now, again, it's important we understand He's not saying to become a believer, to be saved, you have to uh, renounce everything. Because we really can't do that on our own, can we? Because we're not saved by works. So what he's saying is, as believers, those whom he has saved, he's saying, now I want you to follow me. Do what I do, right? Say what I say, teach what I teach. But he says, if you really want to be my disciple then you need to follow me and just you need to renounce everything else. See, Jesus often looked over the crowds, the multitudes that were following him, right? And he looked at them and he knew 
how many of them would really be willing to follow him where he was going? Because where was Jesus going? He was going to the cross. He wants disciples, followers, who would follow him all the way to the cross. And what does the cross represent? It represents death to us. Maybe not physical death, but death to self. Look at the next verse, okay? So that was Luke 14, Luke 9, 23. And he said to all, if anyone, this is Jesus, if anyone wants to come after me, meaning you want to follow me and be my disciple, let him deny himself. That means like death to yourself, to your own will and desires. Take up your cross how often? Once a Sunday? Every Sunday? No, right? Daily. And do what? And follow me. See, Jesus is saying, it is difficult to be my follower. You're going to be persecuted. In fact, Peter, in his letter in 1 Peter, he is writing it to Christians who are persecuted for standing up for their faith. Those who feel like they're in exile. Church, you know, we are in exile. Not only in this country, in this world, because this is not our true home. We know that. As believers, we are spiritually renewed, and we know that our our true place is in heaven, eternity with God, but we are here now. But we are to remember, in a sense, we are exiles. And so this world is not friendly or accommodating to our faith and our following of Jesus. And sometimes I think we're reminded of that. It might look different for each of us, but we are reminded of that. And so Peter is saying, you know what? This is what we're called to do. And Jesus is saying it also. In one more verse, Second Peter 3.18. He says, uh, but grow, so this is Peter again, the second letter, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So to him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. So he, Peter, what Peter is doing is kind of summing up what a disciple, someone who chooses, look, a believer who chooses to actually follow what Jesus did and said, He said, Peter is summing it up saying this way, we need to grow, right? It's one of our core values. We learn and we grow. He says, grow in two things. What? Grace. Remembering, grace is not just what saves us. Grace keeps us each and every day. Grace reminds us that it's not about us, it's about him, and that we can't even live this Christian life without him. So Peter says, grow in grace and in knowledge. So he's Basically, I think Peter has stolen our core values, (laughs) right? He says, learn, learn about Jesus and then do the stuff that he did. He says, grow, learn and grow. And what's the ultimate purpose of all that? So we can just be happy? No, that's, that's a blessing, but so God can get the glory, right? So God can get the glory. So anyway, the first half of 1 Peter 3.15, where he says, set Christ apart as Lord in your hearts. That's what we are to be as disciples. Being a disciple is choosing to follow him and nobody else. Okay? So that's that's being a disciple. So, uh, in church, we can say this. One of the two main things that we're called to be as a church, listen, it's important, the nature and purpose of what Jesus called us to be as a church is to be equipped. Okay? To be equipped. That we come and we learn... We learn from the Word of God. We learn from each other. We hear testimonies and we are equipped in our fellowship and our worship. The time that we pray, all these things go together to help us become better disciples. That's equipping, right? We're being equipped to be disciples. But it's not just being equipped to kind of sit here and just kind of enjoy that. But we're being equipped to do something. Does that make sense? 
So as disciples, the first thing is we set Christ apart as Lord in our hearts. It means we be disciples. And so we're being equipped. So the first part of what a church is called to be is to be a disciple. Okay, set Christ apart as Lord. And every time we get together, we're to help each other do that better and better if we are choosing to be a disciple and to follow him. But then the second part of 1 Peter 3.15, he says, and kind of here's why. So he says, set Christ apart as Lord in your hearts and what? And always be ready to give an answer to anyone who asks about the hope you possess. See, there's part two. Part two is grow in your faith. You put your faith in and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. When you do that, we don't automatically understand the whole Bible, do we? No. We have to grow. It's a lifetime journey. That's the, the, the idea of sanctification, being set apart. See, the word sanctification means set apart. So Peter is saying, set Christ apart, like be sanctified. So you're a disciple, you're going to spend your whole life continually setting yourself apart for Christ in your thoughts, your words, and your deeds, everything, right? Your relationships, in your job, the way that you talk to other people, uh, the, the way that you are seen in the community, all those things, we are to set apart for Christ as we choose to be a follower. But now... Peter is saying, be a disciple, right? And make disciples. And this is like so simple, but so profound. That's why it helps to give us a clear vision. You see what I'm saying? It's not to be so complex. What's our vision for 2020? A clear vision of hope is to be disciples and make disciples. Well, it's pretty profound, right? That's what Jesus called the church to do. Be a group of disciples loving each other. So the world knows that you're different and you're, and you're loving and supporting each other and you're loving me and following me. He says, be disciples, but don't just be happy with being. You have to go and do it and make other disciples. And so if the first part of the verse about being a disciple is the equipping, we say a church is called to equip. Then we get another great word that starts with E, is evangelize, which means to go and proclaim the gospel, this gospel of hope that we represent. So we gather, right? We gather to learn, to grow. We gotta learn to grow, to be equipped, and then we step outside these four walls and we go. See, we gather and then we go. We get equipped and we evangelize. It's the two parts of being the church. And oftentimes, it's that second part that's kind of the difficult part, right? I mean, I think we all love to study the scripture and learn and that's great, but but what a travesty if it would just remain there. That we would might get puffed up with knowledge, you know. But we need that knowledge so that we can go and be disciples. We're going to be disciples and make disciples. And so he says, how do you do that? Always be ready. And that might be the part that kind of scares us, right? And so this year in 2020, we're going to give more of a clear focus in all that we do. Whether it's a teaching series or a class or it's ministries or we get out, you know, we get outside these four walls and do it together. We're going to have more of a focus and attention, more clarity to what does it look like to proclaim the gospel? What does it look like to evangelize? Because we want to do a great job of equipping and learning and growing. But what about the serving part? See, we are to go and make disciples. So we're be disciples and make disciples. Let's look at some verses that talk about that. Uh, actually, I think we should just look at one verse. I think that's the best thing to do. Look at Matthew 28, 
18 to 20. Did you ever hear these words? You probably have. It's often called the Great Commission. Jesus gave this to whom? His disciples, right? His disciples before he went back to the Father and says, And Jesus came to them, Matthew 28, 18 to 20, the Great Commission. And Jesus came to them and he said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. This is Jesus. And then he gives them the verse, right? And he says this. He says, go therefore and do what? And make disciples. See, that's the second part, right? That you make disciples. You make disciples of all nations, but here's what we do. See, he doesn't just say go and do something. Doesn't he give us specific instructions? He says how to do that. He says, go and make disciples. Like, don't just be satisfied with where you are. Go and make disciples of all nations. So listen, that's important too. Because here at Trinity, don't we also, we support local and global missions. Because it's not just to our neighbors, not just to Americans, but who? To the whole world. You see, Christianity is not based in just one geographical location or to one people group. It is for all nations. That's why we can look around and see a diversity, and we love it. Because that's what heaven's going to look like. It's that great diversity, you see. But he says here, Jesus, in his last look, this is his last directive to his disciples. So this is us now. And what does he say? He says, go therefore, right, and do what? Make disciples. So first you have to be a disciple to make one. Am I right? First you be one, and then you go make disciples. And how do you do that? You baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and you teach them to observe all that I have commanded you to do. So, how do you make disciples? Well, first of all, we've, we've already covered a disciple is a believer. So we have to present the gospel to people so they know... Uh, what to believe in and how to believe, right? And that it's Jesus is the only way, Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by grace we have been saved through faith, not of our own works. So we preach the gospel. And then as there are believers that come to faith in Christ, we are to then make sure they are baptized, which means they are believers already. Baptism is that outward expression, okay? It's basically like that commitment. When you are baptized, many of you here have been baptized, right? You've already believed in the Lord Jesus, but see, the baptism church is sort of the beginning, in a way, of your choice to be a disciple. See that? Because you're doing it publicly, saying, I believe. Maybe you invited your friends and family, and all their church was there, and they're supposed to stand behind you, and you get baptized, right? That's when you got dunked under the water, and you came back up, symbolizing your death and resurrection with Christ, and you say, yes, I'm a believer in the Lord Jesus and no one else, and I choose from this day forward, to be a disciple. Now, every day is going to look different. Some days, you're going to hit a home run. And some days, you're going to lay down at night, and you're going to say, man, I really messed up today. Today was not a good day in me being a disciple, right? But isn't it great that the Word tells us that His mercies are new every day? And if He gives us a new morning, we wake up and we say, thank you, God. And we got a new shot to do it all over again. To do what? To set Christ apart in our hearts as Lord and say, I'm not going to follow anybody else, right? And I'm not going to put uh, anything or anyone before the Lord Jesus Christ in every part of my life. But see, that is a lifelong journey. So we are not to get disheartened. We can get discouraged because we're not doing such a great job, but we understand that Jesus is merciful, right? 
and we are people of hope, so there's always hope with Christ. And remember, His grace is not just for our salvation. His grace is for our sanctification every day. That we can't earn it or deserve it, right? And so therefore, we're going to choose to do the hard things, to be a disciple. We're going to make that choice. Because discipleship is a commitment. And it's going to be difficult. There's demands on us when we choose that. But we say, yes, some days I'm going to do a great job. And other days, not so great. But maybe God will give me the next day. And, and yes, I will commit to, to do better. But we can't do it on our own. See, there's another thing too, church. Let's remember that. If we can't earn salvation because it's not our works, what about our sanctification? Can we do that on our own? Thanks, God, for saving me. I got this holy part, like, I I can do that on my own. No, we can't. Isn't that why Jesus gave us who? The Holy Spirit. See, Jesus said, look, I'm leaving, but don't worry. Because all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Jesus said that. And then what does he do with that authority? He passes it on to his disciples, see? And he says, I'm going to be with you always, even to the end of the age. That's the end of his great commission. Isn't that beautiful? He says, you don't have to do it on your own. He says, I have come to bring you life, salvation. You don't have to do anything except receive it by faith. He says, every day you make that commitment to be a disciple. I'm going to be with you. And every time you go out to make new disciples, I'll be with you. Just rely on me. Jesus says, rely on me. I'm giving you the Holy Spirit. He'll convict you. When you're, when you're not being obedient as a disciple. And he'll bring back those words of scripture you memorize and you'll be like, oh my gosh, that's right. I memorized that and, and I wasn't even doing, I just did the opposite, right? And you remember that, but that's what the Holy Spirit does. And so Jesus says in every way, I'm not going to leave you or forsake you. He goes, I'll be with you forever because I, I have the authority. And I'm saying, go in my name. Didn't we just sing all these songs in the name of Jesus? His name is powerful and wonderful and awesome. And so we do it all in his name. And so we learn to be disciples and then we go make disciples all in his name and his power and his authority because we can't do it on our own. So the first part of our key verse for this year is to be a disciple by setting Christ apart as Lord. And then the second part is go and make disciples. How? Always be ready to give an answer. As people ask about the hope that is in you. See, there it is. Look, church, if we're being disciples and following him, people are going to notice there's something different about you. Does that ever happen to you? Where people, and they might say, why are you crazy? Maybe they've called you crazy or weird. Like, why? Man, they see somebody do something to you. Like, if they did that to me, man, I would have come. I would have done this and that and that. And you're just like so forgiving and you just, maybe you look the other way, you turn the other cheek or you say something kind and you don't like, you, you don't, you know, give in to retribution or hatred or whatever animosity and people are like, why, why? So I like that. There's an opportunity to give somebody a reason for the hope. But you know, it's beautiful too. Let's look at this. If you can put our key verse back up, First Peter 3.15, what does it say at the end of it? To give, be ready to give an answer to anyone who asks, right, about the hope that what? That you possess. Some versions of the Bible say that's in you or that you have. I want you to, I don't want you to miss that, church. This is so good. When I was first reading this, I was skipping over that. I'm like, yeah, you possess, you possess, you possess. But then as you read it and you focus on it, what does that mean? We have a hope that we possess. It's a hope that's been given to us. 
we own it in Jesus Christ, but we can also possess it. See, there's a difference between ownership and possession. Like, you can own a house, but if you don't actually move into it, you're not really kind of possessing it. You see what I mean? And that's kind of like the idea of the people of Israel when they rejected Christ or during the Mosaic law. We look in the, the Old Testament, right? With the Mosaic covenant, we, God says, if you, if you obey me, there's going to be blessings. If you disobey, there's curses. And so there were many times when the people of Israel were not possessing the blessings that God offered. They always owned it. They always owned it because God said that's an unconditional covenant. Like, I promise that this is, a, this is yours. But they didn't always take possession of it because of their disobedience. So Peter is saying, you have a hope that you possess and don't waste it. Like, you're always going to own it because Christ will never leave you or forsake. You can't lose your salvation. I 100% believe that. But when we're disobedient or we're choosing not to be a follower of his, we try to follow our own way. And what we're doing is we're not truly enjoying the full possession of that hope. Because we are people of hope. Let me just kind of end with this church. And there's a lot. I actually wanted to get into the life of Peter. But here's what I'm going to do. I'm I'm actually going to challenge you. Go and do a study on the Apostle Peter. Because you're going to see, I think, is a great example of what it looks like to be a disciple. Because, you know, Peter was quite impetuous, wasn't he? He was kind of like... Always wanted to just do the, do the things first, right? Maybe without thinking. But he was also the leader. He was also sort of the spokesman for them. But, but see, Peter had his great moments, but he also had his failings, didn't he? Remember when Jesus told him, you're going to deny me? He was like, no way. Maybe the other guys, but not me. And what did Peter do? He denied him. And Jesus, what did Peter do? Maybe, remember a while ago we looked at that and we saw a clip of it from the movie, The Passion of the Christ. And, and we saw that Peter was like still following Jesus, but at a distance. You remember that? He was like kind of hiding behind the wall and the pillar. He was like, yeah, I'm following you, but kind of like, I don't want to be associated with you. So yeah, like I'm a Christian, but like, I'm not really your disciple. See, I'm going to follow you, but nobody's going to see that I'm following you, right? But we do that too. So my point is, look up Peter and read about him. Read his letter in First, Second Peter and read about him in Acts, especially his great sermons at the beginning. And you can see so much in Jesus. What does Jesus do? He calls him the rock. He gives him, gives him the name Cephas, right? Which means like little rock. And he says like, you're going to be a really important part of this church that I'm building, but it's really going to be your faith, the faith that you are, uh, that is emblematic in you. That's what's going to, the church is going to be built on is that faith, see, that Peter had. But was that faith always perfect? No, it wasn't. But see, that's why he's a great example for us. Because we look, he had all different kinds of experiences, just like we do as disciples. But again, that's one of the reasons that I, I chose this verse is because he's a great picture. Because oftentimes we hear this taught like, oh, be a disciple, make disciples. But how? How am I a disciple? Peter says, just set Christ apart in all things, like in your heart, and then go tell people about that. Especially when they ask you, like tell them why you have hope. You're not trying to argue them into heaven and, and teach them all about what you think about dinosaurs and aliens, right? Oh, that seems to be one of the things people like to talk about, right? But you know, my, here's the thing. We were talking about that earlier in our, our prayer before the service. Uh, any kind of conversation you have when people ask you, to give like an answer and account for the hope that's in you, can you just bring the conversation back to Jesus? Because we sang that name and Jesus is the one that makes all the difference. 
We want to talk about God, but oftentimes people are talking about a different God when you talk about God. They might not believe that, that, that the Bible is even the Word of God or, or even truth or, or relevant. And so just bring it back to Jesus because he's the one that makes all the difference because he's the one that said that he would rise after being dead. He is the one that said he would come back to life. He's also the only one who ever said that he was actually God. And so, therefore, when people ask you about the hope, just somehow bring the conversation back to Jesus, who Jesus said he was and what he was going to do. And that should remind us and tell other people about the great hope that we have. So, therefore, you know, we wrap this up and say, uh, the Word of God is always our lens for looking to the future and to seeing who we are to be first and foremost. Because when you, when you look at, when you're looking into the distance through one of those viewfinders, it really does make a difference where you're standing, doesn't it? Like your position has everything to do with how you are seeing things. And so therefore, no matter, like, whichever one you choose, and you can move it, right? You're changing your position so you can see certain things. We recognize that our position is in Christ as believers, and it should affect everything that we see into the future. And so we use the Word of God, Jesus Christ Himself, the very Word incarnate, we use Him as our lens always. And so that's why Peter says, set Christ apart as Lord, nobody else in your heart. And always be ready, ready to give what? An answer. An answer, an account, some of your versions say, about the hope. About the hope that you possess. Look at these last few verses, and I'll close this in prayer. Jeremiah 29.11. You're probably familiar with that one. Talking about hope. For I know, this is, listen, this is God talking to the people of Israel But this is the same God who loves us and called us to be the church in Christ. So this applies to us as well. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare, which means good, and not for evil, to give you a future and what? And a hope. See, there is hope in the future. So we might not feel hopeful right now in our life situation. But Jesus says, with me there is always hope. And, and the solution to your issue might not come tomorrow. Lord willing, it comes this year. But regardless, each day we have the opportunity to choose to be a disciple, a follower of Jesus. Because he has a hope and a future for us. Colossians 3, 2. Set your mind on things that are above and not on things that are on earth. Very easily we could put in their minds, we could put eyes. Where are we to set our eyes? To set our spiritual eyes, our minds Things above, where Christ is, okay? That's where we look. Not to just our current situations, our circumstances, but we look beyond and above that to get a clearer vision for what God has called us to be and to do, and that is to be people of hope. And I'll end with Psalm 121, a beautiful psalm. I think just eight short verses. Psalm 121, I lift my eyes up to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord, the one who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. 
The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and evermore. Beautiful. Let's stand. We're going to pray. So much in that great psalm is about how the Lord sees us, church. He sees us. He gives us a vision for the future. And he says, I will not let you stumble or fall. You might feel like you're falling and stumbling. He says, I won't let you fall all the way. I will be there to keep you. Didn't Jesus tell his disciples, all that authority is going with you and I'll be with you to the end of the age? God says it in that beautiful psalm as well. He says, our, our God doesn't slumber or sleep. He will not let your feet fail. He will not let our eyes fail us as we keep our eyes on things above where Christ is, right? Because we are people of hope. And so we are called to be the hope of this world because we represent Jesus. So let's pray. Father, uh, we're thankful for your word as always and thankful for your servant and your apostle Peter. Sometimes, God, we laugh at the accounts of his life and, and we can chuckle because we see him in us. Lord, his faults and his failures, but yet his desire to want to follow you. His desire to want to be the best Christian ever. And God, we have that desire as well. But Lord, would you help us to make that daily choice to do what Jesus called us to do as believers to choose to pick up our cross every day, to deny ourselves, to put no one else first but Christ, and to follow you, to follow in your footsteps. Lord Jesus, help us to do that this year that each and every time we get together, we would have a clearer, like a more clear and a clearer vision of who we are called to be, to be disciples and to go make disciples because we are people of hope. Thank you, God. And Lord, as we leave this place now, would you help each of us to just embrace those divine appointments that you've set up for us, people that are going to ask us about the hope that we have, would you help us to let them know about the hope that we possess and that hope has a name. And that name is Jesus. May we go in his power and authority because he will never leave us. And we thank you for that. In his name we pray. Amen.